Welcome, welcome, welcome. How's everybody doing? Hope you are doing well. My name is Andrew Kuhn, Focus Compounding, sitting next to Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how's it going today? It's going very well, Andrew. How's it going with you? It's going great. We hope it's going great for everybody else as well. If this is the first time you are tuning in with us, be sure to hit that five-star button wherever you are listening or watching us. Hit the subscribe button. Follow me on Twitter. If you're interested in our money management services and you're a qualified investor, reach out to me, Andrew, at Focused Compounding. Dot com. So what's today's day? Today is December 21st. Wasn't this the day the world was supposed to end? Remember that whole thing? December no. 21st, they made a movie about it. Yeah, I don't know. Something like that. But it's December 21st. Yeah. It's before Christmas, before the end of the year. But I thought it would be good to do a recap uh, in 2021. Okay. And the reason I want to do this is because this is dangerous. 20 years from now, <laughs> when we're looking back and I'm thinking about early on in my career, I'm going to be like, what was I thinking in 2021? Okay. What was the end of that year like? And I thought it would be cool, you know, over time, I think we'll be thankful that, or maybe not thankful, but you know, maybe we'll appreciate um, having what we were thinking about in the time and just kind of throughout our journey. So uh-huh. 2021, let's see. Could do a little bit of a post-mortem and then maybe our thoughts going forward. Okay. Um, uh, it was the year of meme stocks, <laughs> which, um, right. so I guess mm-hmm. that kind of happened a lot last year as well. But GME, that was actually at the beginning of the year. Okay. It feels like it was a 2020 event or a very mm-hmm. long time ago, but that was in January of 2021. Tesla, all these other meme stocks. We had the Archigos blow up. That was a big affair that happened. Wow, that was this year. That was this year. Wow. Yeah. Uh, China. China happened. On China, they regu- <laughs> yeah, China happened. Um, China regulated the education system, which kind of started the spiral on oh, yeah, Chinese property, stocks yeah. in mm-hmm. general, Alibaba, which actually we're going to record a Q&A. Somebody, uh, a friend of the podcast, Vetla, asked about your thoughts on Alibaba, which okay. we'll wait to the next podcast to talk about that. Um, the S&P currently, now we don't want to front run anything, but the total return is sitting around 24% year to date. Uh-huh. Uh, the 10-year yield is around 1.47%, which is up from just under 1% at the beginning of the year. Oh, really? It doesn't okay. feel, I know, I had to, when uh-huh. I went back to look what the 10-year was trading at at the beginning of the year, I would have guessed it was kind of around where we're at right now. And okay. it, was, it was like 0.9, something like that. It was mm-hmm. under a percent. So um, that's kind of some of the big things that I thought throughout the year. I'm sure there were many other things, but it was really just a year of, I don't know. It was just a year, right? Like they had the same craziness that you get sometimes in stocks, like with memes and stuff like that. Of course, the big news throughout the year has been inflation, which we've talked a lot about. I would And say. nominal growth in general. Nominal There's, growth in general. I can't remember. Well, I certainly can't remember because I wouldn't have been alive, but I can't think of any year in which um, I'm using the end of this year. So actually I should say like annualized and stuff and it wasn't necessarily the beginning. But, you know, if you do like GDP now and things like that, you get an idea of what I'm talking about. Um, the actual nominal growth rate at this point annualized with the inflation and uh, real GDP both being so high, uh, the, just the total amount of growth in, in dollar terms that everyone's seeing is pretty much unprecedented for the United States. Actually, as of the time we're recording this, the United States, I'm sure, will have, uh, you know, for the quarter, like as of right now, um, will be growing faster than China. So what are you, as an investor, I always like to bring this back, like mm-hmm. to what does the individual investor do? I mean, so how are you sort of thinking through these things for your own process when you're sifting through ideas? So we think longer term. So like, you know, the fact that, um, 
things will be good for some company next year is not really, uh, we don't buy a stock on that basis. Um, there's plenty of stocks, uh, plenty of companies where we, I would say, you've got an idea that things will be good next year versus uh, this year and versus the year before. But we try to pick things based longer term, which means uh, mainly having to be a somewhat reasonable PE uh, for a business that we like, an industry that we like, management that we like. And so that's gotten harder because I would say that stock prices in general have kind of uh, gone up faster than I would say the underlying earnings have gone up. Everyone's playing their own game. Mm -hmm. Our game is different than other people's game. Right. So when I say stuff, I'm not critiquing anything or anybody. I do feel like in the companies that we follow, right. The ideas are sort of more few and far between as opposed to other micro cap investors that I follow on Twitter, social media, blog, stuff like that. They're saying, holy cow, there are a ton of micro cap opportunities right now. Okay. Because the sell off has just been pretty brutal in that group. Yeah. So, so I mean, I guess I kind of misspoke in that way. Um, the. Could that be just the type of companies we're focusing on? Yes. Tend to be a little uh, bit... It's a. I don't want to critique rotational. It. It's a rotational thing. I We've talked about this before. Yeah. It's a rotational thing. I have no idea why it happens that way, but it does. There's things that should have gone up last year, did not, and now they go up this year, and I don't know why, except that it has to do with certain characteristics of investors preferring certain kinds of things. So we tend to be a little bit more of the um, quality, right? So like a better balance sheet, more of the whatever you want to call it, um, quality things that people invest in, like big stocks, but applied to smaller stocks. And so there's less of that with um, somewhat more speculative or whatever kinds of companies. And we aren't in certain industries that um, would be a little bit harder uh, hit or whatever. So it's just, there's been, there hasn't been as much shift away from those things. I would say, yeah, the S and P 500 is a little misleading compared to the sort of the median stock, right? So actually the, it's not very broad based, the, the increase in stock prices this year. Um, although I don't know that a lot are down a lot to levels that we would care about because, um, that's the thing. A lot of investors could look and not pass a judgment. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying what's kind of out there right now. Oh, you know, this stock's down 30% or something, but right. we would look at it and be like, okay, it's down 30% from the peak on the stock chart. But where is that from a valuation perspective? Right. So, I mean, it really it matters to us, PE for most stocks, sometimes price to book or price to sales when we're evaluating stocks that we think have more of like a normalized sort of, uh, you know, their earnings might be somewhat cyclical, uh, margins might be cyclical, returns on equity might be cyclical. So um, that's what I care about. And I would say generally, uh, there's not a lot of stuff that's very cheap. There may be some things that have come down a bunch in price. And I did say before, like there's certain categories that I don't know enough about and so can't say i the biggest one of that is like fossil fuel energy stuff. Some of it might be cheap, but I don't know how to value it. I had that down on my notes because you did mention that in the last podcast that you yeah. think a lot of stuff fossil fuel related is pretty cheap right now. Or yeah, I think you said it's been surprising to you where it's currently at. Yeah. Um, th- I guess so. Yeah. You would have, th- I, I would have thought that you'd see that go up more given the, um, 
sort of economic data that we've had and things like that. We've talked about that before. Um, that sometimes you have ideas about what sorts of stocks might go up more than others in anticipation of certain things. Uh, you know, I'm, you, I mean, I guess you would say some things that should be very sensitive to certain earnings things, uh, certain uh, economic things that we're seeing, you, you would probably expect people to buy um, financials and energy things. Just in general, they were not as high compared to certain other things in the index or as high as a percentage of the index. And they give you some exposure to some stuff that if people cared about the like medium term or something that they would benefit. Um, that's not what we do. You know, we don't look to like own different kinds of industries throughout a cycle. But if you were doing that, that's the kind of thing that normally at that point in recovery early on, that's the kind of thing that you buy. But I haven't seen as much. Of course, it has recovered. I mean, when I'm talking about fossil fuel things and stuff, it's recovered. I just meant compared to the price of oil, it actually isn't more. A bunch of these aren't more expensive. Mm -hmm. They've recovered only in line with oil prices. Mm -hmm. So a day after we recorded last week, uh, the Fed basically announced that they're going to speed up their tapering process mm -hmm. from 15 billion to 30 billion. And that, I mean, you were kind of, I guess you said you were kind of shocked or whatever. It was interesting to you in the car ride over to recording today. You said that Powell basically came out and said, yeah, inflation's here or it's running hot right now. Uh, the uh, actual content was exactly what was expected. I was Im impressed or whatever by the uh, candor of the press conference. Yeah. I just, because it's a little, it, it's blunt enough for them to write headlines about. Usually you, you kind of, you know, when talking to the press or whatever, don't give them, you don't like to give them quotes that they can take out of context oh, and put sure. in, you know, <laughs> you don't like to give them good headlines, headlines that sell well, headlines sure. that people will click on. Um, so, you know, you don't want things like Powell says inflation high, you know, or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, you know, you say is relatively more elevated than it was on our previous uh yeah it's like let's give a long title so it doesn't perfect you know it's not a perfect quote yeah but also that you know to expect two to three rate hikes next year as well so tapering slowing down interest rates going up we've talked about how now more than ever in your career this macro theme is very important you said or you're thinking about it a lot so how do you sort of inject that information and how are you thinking about that like going forward? Well, I'm not making predictions about anything. Uh, you just have to be careful because certain businesses may be exposed in some ways to risks that you don't want to take. Um, primarily being a mismatch with borrowing short, lending long if rates move very quickly or something like that. And sometimes with inflation things for some companies, um, there could also be issues there. Um, so just, you know, businesses that are very affected that way for large S and P 500 type companies, usually they're pretty diversified across some things. So that doesn't matter as much, but for some of the companies we pick, if you have a business model, that's very reliant on one thing, sometimes you're not set up for an economic situation that way. We like a lot of very focused businesses, but that does mean that you rely on one sort of kind of economics, which that business model can be affected by things like, um, what we're seeing now, sometimes beneficially and sometimes not, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of curious. I mean, is there any main lessons or takeaways that stand out to you from 2021? Um, no, I, we didn't, I mean, I didn't do a lot of buying or selling of stuff in 2021. Um, and I don't think there were large amounts of, 
results for stocks and things that we had that weren't largely luck based, you know, the timing based and stuff about why they fell in one year, not another. Um, yeah. So what do you mean when you say not luck based, meaning like this is just stuff that you kind of foresaw? I didn't predict the level of, um, growth, you know, nominal growth and things that some of them would have this year and the effect that that would have on companies. And, and for some of them, it's very, uh, positive when that happens, you know, but I, I didn't predict that. Uh, so I, for instance, even in some cases where earnings were up a bunch or something, then I wouldn't give myself credit for that. Cause I didn't foresee it. It wouldn't have been reasonable to foresee it ahead of time. Um, but you know, uh, on the other hand, you know, luck cuts both ways, you know, they're also, you know, you have to look at your own portfolio and decide with those sorts of things. I try to do the best I can to, um, not, you know, to separate decisions that you made from things that were not that you would have been able to foresee that way with luck. But sometimes you get lucky with a stock in terms of the multiple expands or something. Sometimes you get lucky that the earnings expand for reasons you did not foresee. Sure. So as an example, this is a stock we do not own, didn't buy, whatever. I wrote up a Mark Precious Metals, if you remember, mm -hmm. and basically said, you know, uh, I can't predict what it'll be and whatever, but you know, like, um, the ticker AM RK, believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, there was a business that they had that I thought was pretty steady. I thought it was pretty good. And you know, I'd said whatever, like it could account for $8 of value or whatever. I forget what it was at the time, you know, and it was like a 10 or $12 stock or $11 stock. And so I said, so it's a fairly low price for the speculation, but that's not what I do and everything. Well, someone might've bought on that on the idea of the speculation being that basically it's a market, it, you know, effectively what I was saying is it's like a market maker in the physical metal. So We're when this, about 2019 as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when the spread happened, yeah, before this happened with um, COVID. So the, when, but the spreads, the volatility of things like gold and silver. So they're in gold and silver, but gold in particular were very low for a few years. So it was reasonable to expect that returns on equity would go up at some point. In this kind of thing. It was just unusually not volatile. Uh, so you that would be reasonable to expect that, right? But if someone bought the stock reading that and said, okay, I'm going to buy the stock because this is a good decision that way. And then COVID happens and the stock goes up 10 times, uh, you know, five times or whatever, um, more than five times, I guess. Um, that's luck, right? But if they read that and then during, what was it in the early days of... Um, uh, let's say early days of lockdown stuff. Um, so around eight to nine dollars a share. Okay, and then a few months later, what if you see? You know, at what point were they seeing a lot of speculation in the market and things like that in in um, stocks and all that? Then maybe they could make that bet. But of course, the math at that point isn't that great for the stock. If you're wrong, then it, you know you paid a slightly high price. I'd say if you bought it, you know, fifteen or twenty. Um, but maybe it would go up to 50 or whatever it turned out to be. And you're right up. You talked about, though, if gold shot up over time or something, like like this company would benefit tremendously from it. I mean, I, right. I haven't read the article since 2019, but you did basically said, like, this could be kind of more of like an intelligent speculation, I guess. Right. But it's sort of like... You can read on focus compounding if you want. It's sort of like when I said um, that I had once done a thing people ask like, did I ever send something to the value investors company? I said, yes, that I did one time for something, which was, um, 
uh, an ethanol thing. Short one ethanol company and and um, it's a related buy. hedge. Uh, it was a company that was at electronic stores mm-hmm. that were selling them off and getting into ethanol and trading below book. And then it was another company, a, a popular ethanol company that had the name ethanol in its uh, stock name and stuff that was trading at many times book. And so the idea was you buy the thing that isn't, it'll change its name eventually, you short the other thing, whatever. Um, the lucky part of that, of course, so, you know, the lucky part of the, the other one did fine. So the, the one that I said to go long outperform the market or whatever, that's fine. That's not so much luck. The short going down a lot for valuation. Okay. That's fine. The part that would be completely luck and you couldn't predict it is it was so bad that it went into bankruptcy and stuff, you know? <laughs> so that, that like, uh, I think you could have predicted that it actually turned out to be a fraud. Uh, so, you know, th- that's something that's all luck that way. Uh-huh. Right. And I think that's true with these meme sorts of things, you know? Right. If you were in GameStop because it was a value stock and then it took off and it made a bunch of money that way, then that's purely luck, obviously. Luck's an interesting topic and in how it plays into investing. Because lucky people continue to get lucky. Winners win. So it's almost like when you say like it cuts both ways, that's true. So you take that situation. Right. Sure, it was luck where you couldn't foresee it going into bankruptcy, but you know, I mean you, you could put see yourself it a little there. bit. Yeah, I mean, you knew who was running it, and you knew, you know, I mean, and you knew what the crazy. I guess you was could like have picked other companies to short, and you picked that one, right? Right, but that one just because that was the most few, the most uh, irrational views by investors in it, right? That was the most bubbly. I'm just saying, you're not buying Zoom at like a gazillion time sales. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. I I get there is luck to these things, but it's true. I mean, lucky people they just continue to get lucky, and there's a reason behind that. Yeah, I think it's important to separate out the factors that drove your performance in a, in a given year and or, or over a long period of time, usually, um, or evaluating a single stock over a long period of time and decide whether you th- what you think you're right about and could have foreseen. And we talked about that with, you know, resulting and all of that. I think it's both to, for an investor, it's both to, um, uh, you can put too much into luck when you start looking at like the statistical things that academics look at and what they see in it and whether it's statistically significant or different things. They often, I think, overestimate how much luck there is in certain things that way just because it's very difficult to prove these things um, to statistical significance when we're using it and trying to find like some, you know, so basically what you end up doing is you're trying to find some statistical thing in factors and things that basically explains the kind of investing Warren Buffett does. And what he does is close enough to that that you're explaining something but it really you're only kind of getting at you know what he does um so i think that goes too far but on the other hand thinking that you're completely responsible for the stock performance because of the decisions that you made is also not um the right way to think about it so i would try to separate them out then like i said um for a bunch of things that we bought or whatever i think there was a significant luck component to actual earnings and results I don't think that we got lucky at all in terms of multiples. <laughs> Things that we own did not have multiples that expanded relative to earnings that much versus other stocks. Mm-hmm. We didn't have luck in terms of people uh, uh, being attracted to the stocks that we had and bidding them up a lot and stuff. That really didn't happen. Um, to, it, instead, it was business results that were somewhat harder to predict. And usually there's an element that's... Um, well, like a good example, we've mentioned uh, uh, someone I had asked about car dealer things before, so I mentioned Virtue Motors. Virtue Motors is an excellent example because it's very weird what happened there. So a thing I couldn't predict, if you look at it, 
is um do you have the most recent price okay so it's just 67 dollars uh, 67 pence sorry um remember they're quoting it when you see that it's pence so that's actually 0.67 pounds normally is how stocks are quoted in the uk so uh i wouldn't have been able to predict that earnings would go up a bunch so it was earning like six pence a, a share at that time or whatever probably um before covid and uh so it seemed reasonably cheap i think i said on the podcast maybe it was at you know four times uh, normal EBITDA or something that was a lot of UK car dealers were like that. So anyway, what happens is basically they're probably going to earn for the year, I would guess a 15 pence or something like that. Right. So it's still at like four and a half times P or something, whatever it is. So it, the actual, you know, price to book has expanded a lot. And so in that sense, buying at a low price to book and then it goes up. Okay. That makes sense. But the actual investment thesis in a way is completely wrong because I expected it to buy back some stock, pay a dividend and get revalued basically, right? Well, it's actually been revalued at the same multiple in a sense, but on a normalized basis, I think the multiple, you know, is higher. I think people realize that it's not going to stay earning what it's been earning recently, but you know, it was, you buy a stock at five times P or something, it'll go to 10. Instead earnings tripled or doubled. Mm -hmm. Um, and the multiple didn't, Mm -hmm. right? And so you have to look at that and say, what did you earn it from? What part of it? And that part was luck that way. Yeah. I would like something like, uh, I did think that Virtu would grow a little bit um, as an example, not a lot, but a little bit, but the, it's, it's really good to find a stock that you feel like the business will grow, you know, 7% a year or something for 10 years while you own it. And the multiple will double or triple. And do you think the multiple follows that though, in some off the bean path type of stocks where if the returns have just been solid, predictable, actually has it, grown over time, people start to notice. It does. But as we pointed out before, sometimes we've gone back to show different stocks and things. And like we did looking back at J and J snack foods. Um, no, like it did fine in 2010 and 2015 and whatever, but it was doing about that in 2005 and 2000. Like it just did longer and got to be a bigger company, but it, it had the same sort of economics mm-hmm. when it was smaller. Um, well, we had experience with computer services, right? So you saw that firsthand. Um, why did it re-rate? I don't know. So it re-rated to more of like a high quality um, stock on a public uh, major listed exchange, more in line with its peers. Competitors, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's it, So that's a good example with the luck thing. If people had asked me to pencil in what is my exact predictions for revenue growth, margins and stuff i would have hit it like perfectly for computer services uh but if they'd asked me what will the pe be Mm. i wouldn't have gotten it right so that's in a sense you could say that's uh, a luck part i would say the luck was the speed of it right so i would not say it's luck to assume that it that it ends up with a higher multiple over time a high quality company eventually will get recognized with higher multiples if you pick a business that's in line with other businesses that have higher multiples, eventually that's what happens. Mm-hmm. That's part of what being a value investor is. And we should assume that we should not buy assuming that a five P stock will always stay at a five P all the time. I buy things that are those low PEs that I think are really high quality and eventually they'll trade just like any other stock in that industry. Um, but we can't control the speed. Yeah. And that's why if so you underwrite it lucky over, 10 years, which we've talked about, or five years, five to 10 years, and it happens in year one to year two, that's when you get that huge IRR. But to your point, you can't really predict that. Yeah. So Japanese stocks I invested in, very lucky in terms of how quickly the timing happened. At other companies, I've said like the, um, I would say you have to kind of count um, luck the other way. 
of uh, like I owned George Risk for a while. It did about the same as S and P five hundred during that time. Um, performance was a business performance was good and in line with what I was looking for, and um, nothing happened with the stock. Basically, it didn't choose to pay out some big dividend. It did sell itself off. It didn't buy back stock. Could you have predicted that? You could have predicted that might be the most likely outcome. But was it a 55% chance? It wasn't a 95% chance. So you always have to take into account the other luck element, which is that something you own could have been bought or something. You know, So sometimes it works the other way in terms of luck. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there are people who owned, like say owned Cambria or something, right? In the UK. And then you got kind of unlucky if you were taken out probably now at this point. Because look what happened with Virtu, right? I, I would guess that if if it hadn't been bought out, um, we don't know because, you know, you don't have the numbers for them. But I'd be surprised if the stock was trading at as low as what it was taken out for. And it was taken out within the last year, you know. So you got unlucky in management taking you out. But I'm sure there was a pretty good chance that that deal wouldn't have come together, you know. And you couldn't predict that. Do you think a good way for people to focus on just the business results itself is to do the owner's earnings? Yeah. The spreadsheet and just kind of keep track well, I of like that. the Yeah, I like the look-through earnings thing. Uh, I mean, personally, I know, I know other people hate that, uh, redoing it that way. But in my view, if you really own these companies and believe in it, you should not, uh, uh, when looking at it on a continuing basis, you should not mark your portfolio... Uh, um, concentrations, your portfolio allocations to things and how much you're exposed to them in terms of the market price, you should use the earnings. So in other words, if you own a hundred, uh, if you own a hundred shares of something that's earning $3 a share, your actual exposure to that is $300 of earnings a year. And you should think of it that way, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and if the multiple doubles, but you're still sticking into the stock, you should not think that you're twice as rich now. Right now, it's perfectly okay to use market values when thinking about should I sell this or should I buy more? But otherwise, I would not use market values. I would always look through, you know, and that's the thing with Buffett. What he's mostly talking about is things that he, Berkshire will continue to hold. That's the like part of the look through earnings I think people kind of overlook. Um, he talks about, you know, buy the things that if you hold it for 10 or 15 years are most likely to give you the best look through earnings. He's not saying that's the way to think about things his workouts and things from his partnership years. He's saying, because we're going to continue to hold this, you really shouldn't focus on the market price. You should focus on the earnings and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And over time, that's true. If you're going to hold these things, if you're going to, knowing the price of virtue is very important if you plan to flip it in the next year or something. But if you plan to own it for a longer period of time, what matters is the earnings this year, next year, each year. And that's really what you're, um, is going to determine your long-term results in the company because that's going to determine its dividends, it's going to determine its buybacks, all those sorts of things. So I would definitely stick to that. And I know um, people adjust it for the market thing that way. But I don't. I, I think it's like would be really bad idea to think a stock earned the same amount of money, it dropped 50%, let's say, relative to your other stocks. Your other stocks went up a little bit and this one went down a little bit. So now you own half as much of it in your portfolio. I don't think that you really do. Mm-hmm. Y- you have the same amount of look through uh, earnings yeah, on sure. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If earnings went away and stuff, then that's different. Uh, but your re- real exposure to stocks is through the earnings part of it. it. You know, in the long run, that's what matters. You know, I've said that before that like, you know, stocks may be revalued because the discount rate changed, but you don't revalue your job, mm-hmm. your salary based on a change in the discount rate. You don't say, oh, well, now it makes sense that I should 
I, I value my job twice as much now because, uh, you know, I'm making the same amount of money, but it, it has a, the DCF has completely changed here, yeah. you know? Uh-huh. Outlook for 2022. And maybe not an outlook, but just your thoughts going into it is just, just continuing to slug away and do what we do. Yeah. Um, exactly that. My, my thoughts are, uh, for me personally and stuff is mostly to try not to force, uh, something. It is very difficult, (laughs) especially if you have cash and not that we necessarily have a lot of cash or whatever, but it becomes more difficult if you have any cash. And as you get more cash, it becomes more difficult if you have a lot of borderline things or not a lot of good ideas, that's when you make really bad mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you can see that with Buffett and sometimes where he's had problems. Um, that definitely having a lot of cash uh, and having high uh, prices and the things that you're looking at can cause you to make um, mistakes. But I, I've said many times um, the level of like stocks overall does not matter one bit to me in terms of whether I would buy something or not. So, so what the, does that mean? So if I find like a stock trading, at? if I find a stock, a business tomorrow that I really like, and it's an acceptable price to me, I will buy it really regardless completely of, um, what the overall market is. I'll never change allocations on things just because of what the overall market is. Um, I would only do things because I literally can't find something, you know, but if I find something that I like, then I would buy it, even if I think the market is incredibly overvalued. And likewise, if I thought the market was looked really cheap overall, but somehow I wasn't able to find things, I don't know how that would happen. But if that did, then uh, it wouldn't change things. You know, you'd have the same it, same sort of uh, approach that way in terms of a specific thing you're going into. I always look around like, oh, you know, each deal one off that way. If it makes sense, then it makes sense in any environment. We've talked a little bit about macro things. What we really mean about that, though, is um, just specific risk to, to companies and things, mm-hmm. you know, that way. So, like, um, uh, if, you know, say you, like, if you own some business that somehow did re- would do really badly if inflation was too high, then it doesn't mean you should sell it or whatever, but you would be worrying about it going into the next year or whatever. Um, although it's very possible inflation like has peaked uh, on an you know on an annualized basis or whatever, but it's just more likely that you would have some of it as a consideration. It's something that you can consider. Those kinds of macro risks, um, not just like the stock market is expensive. I would never not buy stocks because the stock market is expensive. Um, if it's something that makes sense, then you know we would do it. And so I'm always looking for things that way. Um, and trying to spend more and more time looking for specific stuff that is, and spending less time thinking about things more generally, you know? So specific stuff, like specific ideas as opposed to specific companies. Yeah. 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 That's always the case. That's always the best way to solve those things. I mean, I never have any idea where I'm going to find something really. It's not, I mean, very rarely has ever been like, you know, this category of things seems cheap and then you look into it and you find something occasionally that has happened um but very very rarely it's much more that you look for you're just looking at one thing after another and then you find something that makes sense and i don't know why you know it's not all that expensive or something at the time when you find it well it's kind of bringing it back to that whole luck component right like sure you don't know where they come from you don't even know if they're going to come but you do know 
well it's like hey we've we've gotten this far it, it has worked out one of my favorite uh sayings is peter lynch saying that you turn over the most rocks then you're gonna you know that's the person who will find the most good stocks and i think that's absolutely true and one of my absolute favorite books is there's always something to uh to do mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's true uh I think that's absolutely true. But it, the thing that happens is it's sort of like other people's experience with OTC stuff. I know that people don't like OTC stuff because you look through a bunch of garbage to find a few high quality stocks and you'd rather look through the S&P 500 where in a sense it's all been vetted for you. Each thing you're going to see is going to be a good company. Some might be way too expensive, but they aren't pump and dump type stuff. Well, for me, that issue is that if you have an expensive market, what happens is you say you're doing a 10K a day, right? you can spend all month and have one thing that you're really interested in and that's all you need. Mm-hmm. But it is difficult in expensive markets that what happens to people is it can be um, disheartening or whatever to pass on so many things. Yeah. Depends how you look at it. Yeah. If you look at it, like you said, well, I'm just turning over rocks. It's part of the process. But yeah, we've talked about before how, you know, you really think the hit rate is one in a hundred at uh, least uh, for what you mean for finding something that I want to buy as many rocks as you're turning over. Yeah. Looking at a hundred companies and some probably harder than others until you find something that you're like, yeah, I could see us actually owning it. I mean, of all publicly traded companies and stuff, we are probably talking about, I mean, it's gotta be eight out of 10, nine out of 10, just our businesses that I don't really want to own. Now you could say at some price would I own them? Yeah, if they were net net, if they were available for almost free, I bet that would be true. But do I want to own this? Be in this industry? Be in this stock on a longer term basis and stuff? No, four to five stocks probably not, to be honest. And then in markets like two thousand nine, that actually turns into a bunch of stocks that you can buy. Mm-hmm. But in markets that are a little bit more like today. If also four out of five stocks are kind of expensive, <laughs> you know, then, you know, one fifth of one fifth is a pretty small group that we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. Now we are talking about you're looking all month to find one idea that is kind of the price is kind of OK and the business is kind of OK of what I want, you mm-hmm. know. And you have to remember, all this is circle competence. There's for other people things that they can do that I just don't understand as well. And so it has to line up. And sometimes it does, and you're lucky that way, that the things that are cheap are things that you understand. And other times there are things that are cheap, but I don't understand them that well. And so, you know, that happens sometimes. When people bring ideas, and I know like kind of instantly if it's something that we could be in, just Mm -hmm. from like the business perspective, I think people would be surprised like in my mind, I automatically think about like the position in the industry and what that industry looks like. So take right. out the business profits, cash flowing abilities, everything like that price. I just kind of visualize like what is the industry like and mm-hmm. what is that company's position in the industry? So really competition, stuff like that. Yep. Uh, I think that'd be surprising to a lot of people. Yeah. And there's a phase where you have to try to keep a really open mind. I've talked about this, um, uh, like, I don't know people are like, how long does it take you to know whether you're interested in a stock or something? There's a thing where you try to be, you know that at the end, or I know that at the end, there's a really small circle of competence. There's a really small amount of stuff that's close at all to the line of that I'm going to buy it. But 
you need to start when you don't know anything about it yet. You need to be willing to consider it, even though you think you're, the surface says this is probably not. This is probably going to be filtered out. Mm-hmm. But there's some stuff that it, there's reasons why you might filter out. But then when you really learn about it, then you realize, oh, this is actually very like things that I. I do understand. And so it's okay that way. And I, you know, because I'll say like, yeah, I have to understand the business and stuff, but then I bought a company that made nuclear reactors. Right. So to most people, that's not a simple business. Mm -hmm. Right. So your first look at that is, Oh, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, defense things, this, this is complicated, whatever. But then when you kind of like look at it and think about it and whatever, then you might buy it. Um, and there are lots of ones like that, uh, where that happens. Uh, that it just on the surface would seem that way. Unfortunately, like the looking through the pink sheets, if I think on the surface that it's probably a definite no in the first 30 seconds, you know, 95% of the time, that would be absolutely correct. The If you think it's probably a no right away, it is going to end up being that. But you have to try to keep your mind open in considering it. And I do try to do that and try to force myself to do that um, and do all sorts of things to f- focus on that. Uh, one of my favorite things to do with that is to take look at a specific thing, you know, a specific stock, like lists of them, and take that one thing and look at it. Um, and I like to use pen and paper and write notes on it, circle things, whatever, try to have a bit of a conversation with it. Actually read the 10K and mark it up. That's my best thing uh, for d- that process because then you're really engaging with it. You're taking it seriously if you do that. What I try to avoid is like when I talk to people and they say, I like, I kind of read that blog post that someone had about it or that seeking alpha thing or whatever, or I found it on a screen or I looked at the financials, you know, um, that that's fine. But I don't like just like people looking through a list. I like, I just saw the PE or I saw whatever and I eliminated it from consideration. Mm-hmm. You know, you try to keep at least open enough mind that you learn about it. Business models. Yeah, the business models and see if like so, some stuff is way off, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I've done all sorts of tricks of trying that uh, to fool myself and stuff. Like, you know, I found something. I went, oh, this is really, you know, interesting and all that. I think I said that and it was a software as a service thing. So yeah. I, I thought it would be expensive, but <laughs> it was a whole nother kind of expensive when yeah. I realized what the price of it was going for. So. But I thought, oh, this is a company that we could buy. Because most of those I would think, no. But as I'm reading about I'm like, I can see the strengths here and why people, you know, and all that. So at least that way you know that. I don't know if that's a stock like that will ever be cheap enough that we'd be able to consider it or whatever. But you learn about some segment of the, you know, the industry. Uh, and maybe it's useful later mm-hmm. in life to have known that. Um, there are some companies that, you know, are high flyers and then they, then they get cheap. Um, or companies that are sur- sort of popular for a little while. Um, we managed to own computer services. And the truth is that mostly um, the core processors that were, you know, the bigger ones always traded at premium PEs and stuff. So it would have been easy for me to eliminate them and not learn about them and stuff. So it's helpful to have already learned about things like that mm-hmm. when you could find something that's smaller. That is way. that something that sticks out to you maybe? It would jump out at you automatically if you knew this was an industry that trades at a premium valuation like the larger ones and then you find a similar company that you know has great economics and everything but it's over the counter it's tricky because it depends on how they describe it this is why you want to read the 10k and mark it up to try to really understand it because um 
if you read the business description of a lot of companies, they're not always that good uh, at describing a business in terms of what I really care about and I really understand it. And sometimes, in fact, a company has a, a significant moat or whatever you want to call it, and that doesn't come across in the business description, or it's pretty much simpler than it seems to be from that um, description. It makes it sound more like a you know highly technical sort of thing and stuff now, and that's not necessarily how it might have made itself sound a, a while ago. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true, but you know if it, it focuses a lot on talking about predictive analytics and all of those sorts of things and and uh, different things about that, then that's not easy to figure out. Obviously, people know about the FICO score and stuff. If it describes that and it describes how many inst major institutions use it and stuff, then, you know, it would help out mm -hmm. in understanding it. But it's not always easy to know that, especially if you're not in the industry, to have an idea of of um, the advantages that some company would have. You know, you kind of have to understand that. Uh, it's easier with the big, like, really, you know, that's why people want to own, uh, not necessarily want to own, but it something like Coke or whatever is the first thing that comes to mind, right? Whereas like owning C's candy, if you've never been to California, mm -hmm. right? Is just as good yeah, sure. as owning Coke, mm -hmm. but you had to work a little bit harder for it. They had a nice connection with Munger with having knowing so much about California and everything. So you could do a little research that way, but sometimes you can figure out those things uh, and you just see it in the numbers. So I try to do that. If the description of a business sounds really interesting, but the numbers don't, I do try to push myself to, okay, explore this. And if the numbers look really interesting, but the business description doesn't, I try to do the same thing. I don't mean cheap price and stuff. I mean, look, it's been earning 30% on its capital for 10 years or whatever. Mm -hmm. I need to look at it and try to understand it because from the description, I don't understand how that's possible. So that's something that would jump out to you. So, okay, mm -hmm. you're sifting through some stocks. Do you put them in QuickFS? And then from there you say, I'm just going to read the annual report. Do you build a list? I mean, how, what's your process like from that perspective? So I um, like to immediately take note of it and then go back to it later. So what I actually do, like with QuickFS is a good example, I actually do um, take a screenshot of it to go into my screenshots. And then those will later, I'll go to those and pick it out to put together a list from that. Okay. So if I'm going through things, let's say, because someone's talking about it or I read about it in an article or something, I put in the ticker, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm going to go through a few in a row, right? So someone's writing up, you know, banks in Alaska or whatever. So I'm going to get two or three tickers or whatever. So when I do that, I'm just going to take screenshots and put it aside. And then I'll go back to that later. I like doing that. The same thing with like um, blog things and stuff. I will um, print them out and save them for later to focus on it then. Yeah. One thing about Jeff, and I think you would say the same thing. You don't multitask. No. Everything you're doing is dedicated or it's strictly what you set out to do. So if you're Looking right. for stocks, you're gonna you're not gonna kind of casually look and then maybe look at the annual report while doing it's right. like no, like the time dedicated to doing something is what you're doing. Yeah, and so I have absolutely no problem with with screens and stuff. Um what I have noticed is like the way that some people seem to use screens and some other sources and things does worry me a little bit. Like I don't think it's a great way to do it, which is look at it for i don't know if you're even looking at it for 30 seconds but you're going through a okay here's yeah. the screen mm -hmm. and then i go to quick fs and i look at it does it look interesting no next no next um 
that one I, that's okay if you're doing like i said like okay um take a picture of and put it aside mm -hmm. you know um uh, if you're doing, you know, if you say you're going through Barron's or, you know, whatever, so you actually had a hard copy of something, then, you know, literally circling it. Or let's say with, uh, you can do with, um, what is it, Rome research, right? Mm -hmm. You can take things and throw it in there, you know, for later. So physically you can put it in a folder and go back to it or whatever. Uh, I don't like the switching back and forth thing with a superficial level and then a really in-depth level. There's nothing wrong with... I'm going to read a whole 10K, put it down, then I'm going to read a whole nother 10K and stuff. And there's really nothing wrong with like exhaustively going through a screen. Mm -hmm. I've done that. You know, it shows up like 50 things and then you really go through and look through, through every single one. The danger is like you find the first shiny thing and then I'll go read that 10K sure, and you yeah. never look at anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the so one that bothers like you me. you want to like close the book on it, move past it, go to the next one. The one that kind of... Uh, it's strange to me, I'll say. Grinds your gears. It's strange to me is when I talk to someone who like has learned about a stock, likes it a lot and whatever, and hasn't looked at any of the other publicly traded companies that are doing the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. um, you don't really need to. It's not like you have to compare them to each other and this has to be the absolute best one. Maybe you're most comfortable with that one. I was like, wasn't so comfortable with Cambria, so we bought Virtu, you know? But you looked at them and you understood the differences and, and whatever you try to look at every one that's in a category that way um the the reason why that bothers me a little bit is it's like then i would worry why did i settle on this one okay if did i settle on this one because it was the one written up on seeking alpha or that was in barons or that someone i know told me about it or whatever and it depends on or it was the first one in the screen that i found or it's the biggest one or it's you know whatever it might be and um some of those things are fine mm -hmm. like if it's it could be perfectly fine if it's oh it's because it's in my local area that's probably not too bad unless your local area is like new york city or something because that doesn't that's doesn't really mean that other investors and stuff would be in the same boat as you that way so you might have some okay so it's a totally random reason why you find out about it but it's not like why everyone is looking at this stock right but it's very possible the reason you're looking at it is because like their investor relations is putting out this stuff and you know and then it gets picked up and then it goes on to value investors club and things and then it's in these other message boards and things and whatever it it seems like you just um picked a stock but did you really pick it or did it like you passively ended up with it because it's the one that had the most uh was spread around the most mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. so that's why you just like look at all of them that way and uh it's good practice to do that and i, I try to do that um uh, the, I guess the one thing that's difficult is like what well, the investing that we do means that really I can't focus on learning a lot about, uh, big companies that are so big and so well known that I know we're not going to own them. Mm -hmm. So know? if you find one that's a smaller company, will you go read about the peers if they're way bigger as well? Yeah. So, um, it depends. I will absolutely uh if they're true uh peers like competing with them because in many ways you can find out even more about the bigger ones usually mm -hmm. and it gives you some idea of what probably a smaller one is like um for companies where they're sort of just in the same group but they aren't really like rivals or anything like that you know so sometimes on wall street things we like have um 
what we're saying they're peers, but they're really just comparable things, you know, then those I, I wouldn't, you know, so like, would I look at every bank in Alaska? Absolutely. Yes. But would I like look at banks of the same size around the country or something? Not really. No, because I, I w- it would be more like focusing on things that do the same, uh, have the same sort of business mm-hmm, model, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Um, and that's the kind of thing that you have to do work at especially hard when the market is a little bit more expensive or whatever. And, um, cause you have to maintain discipline on those things. That's what, like, um, when we say we're value investors, really all that means is that we have some price discipline. We don't, I don't really go, let me look at what's the cheapest stocks, find them, which ones are okay. Okay. Let's buy them or something. Mm-hmm. We really just, what businesses, what industries do we want to be and what businesses do we want to be and what management do we want to be with? And then is it cheap enough that it's okay? So it's just, you know, we're not going to pay 30 times for something and we just are never going to do that. So it's just maintaining that discipline. That's all that it is. It's not, you know, that's all that it means for us to be a value investor. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to lose that uh, when you're in a market like today and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I also don't want to sound bearish, right? Because actually, uh, if you ask like what would be my prediction for um, next year in terms of like, economic data or company earnings things or whatever it would be very positive it's just that doesn't matter to me mm-hmm. or us or whatever you know like um we're buying for the longer term so we're very sensitive to just like what price are we getting mm-hmm. we're not very sensitive to how good our results going to be next year you know so i would be more excited at 2009 prices with prospects of that kind of slower recovery than now with today's prices and the kinds of things that, you know, the kinds of growth that you might see. So that doesn't mean the market won't do great next year and economy presumably will do great. Um, it just means that like, you know, there's unfortunately more stuff that like the business, like the industry, and then it's nowhere near the price that we want. Mm -hmm. Right. And I found that by far the toughest time to invest. Um, it's happened before, but it's really can be, like I said, disheartening because if you just find constantly stuff that's too expensive, um, then, you know, uh, you either think there's nothing you can do, which is wrong, or you think, Oh, I have to abandon the old approach that I had, which is also not what you want to do. You just have to to do it. You just have to realize that the degree of difficulty is 10 times more than it was in a cheap market. Because in a cheap market, you can there's all this stuff that you can buy, like mm-hmm. you know. So it just seems easy, and you have to look ten times as hard to find those sorts of things in a more expensive market. But they're out there. It's just you have to look that much harder. Mm-hmm. Got it. Cool. Well, I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in with the both of us on the Focus Compounding Podcast. So if this is the first time you are tuning in, uh, give us a rating and review. Hopefully that's five stars. If not, please do not give us a rating and review. Um, you can if, give us five stars and then a negative review. I don't think that the... Uh, five stars only. That's all I want. Five stars. Yeah. yeah five and then you stars. can give any comment you want. Yeah. Comments are... I actually do read the comments. Oh, okay. <laughs> I do read the comments. Uh, if you're looking at the screen right now, quickfs.net is where we pull all the information from. When Jeff said, if he comes across a company that's been... You know, mm-hmm. has a thirty percent return on equity for ten plus years. He yeah. says, "How do they do that?" This is where he's looking at that data. Yep. So go to quickfs.net. Tell them that you 
heard of them from Focus Compounding, and that will um, help support everything we do on the podcast. If you listen to us often, you know everything I'm saying. Same cadence, same pitch. Go to quickfs.net. I want to thank everybody so much for the support, and we will see you in the next podcast.